These are some pretty weird backgrounds that Skype chooses when you really sit down and look. It's not a very consistent theme. They're the kind of weird abstract art that you see in like a shitty doctor's office. Hmm. But then Fred's is like a spa- a place. So it's weird. Oh, you mean like when oh, I do... it's like cubes? Dick's in a fucking basket. Can you guys hear me now? Hey, yeah, what's up? Let's uh, let's make hay while the sun feels like Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, everybody back to recording. Nerdy Here Weekly, a podcast about the week's biggest stories in nerdy news. I'm Riley Trahan, Senior Entertainment Editor at Nerdy Here First, and, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Deepak Chitness. What to do? Fred Neighbor. <laughs> and, and, and creepy alien uh, looming over us in its menacing ship, Jackson Trahan. Uh-oh, I'm gonna get you with my beams. No. Nope. Uh, it's close, in- close Encounters of the Third Sun. <laughs> All right, we're going to get down to business here. We got a lot to get through. We got three big stories to talk about in the news this week. Uh, and we're going to start talking about some comic books. So, guys, I don't know if y'all have seen or not, but these here comic books, these superhero stories, they've become quite popular in the entertainment <laughs> industry. Um, they've made some movies that have been pretty successful about a lot of these, these caped heroes. And uh, as it turns out... And you guys are going to be shocked to hear this. The folks making these movies are perhaps a little reluctant to pay the people who came up with the ideas for the movies. So part of the jumping off point here is there was a Hollywood Reporter article that ran over the weekend, uh, bylined by Aaron Couch, about how Marvel is basically running movie math. Uh, and Deepak, you can inform us a little bit on what that means. Um, but to you know bait and switch comics creators on whether or not they're actually owed anything, any compensation for the use of their IP in the movies. This coming on the back of Thor Love and Thunder, uh, a movie that kind of yoinks a lot of imagery straight out of Jason Aaron's comic book run. Jason Aaron does get on screen credit for that movie. uh, But, you know, the same can't be said for, you know, it's not as if one man makes a comic book on his own, right? And, and Thor is the outcome of a long, long running story, right? So so all of that is to say, I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about what it is that we think comic book creators are or should be owed and and how we think companies like Disney and Warner Brothers should go about kind of making things right with those companies. Deepak, can I start with you? Yeah, the other part of this story is that there was apparently a deal back in 2007 or so when the Elena... Belova, whatever her name is, the new Black Widow character was created in the comics that uh, should she appear in any movies that there would be a flat fee, I believe, of like 25000 given to the creator who wrote the comic that created her as a character. Uh, but Disney, for, for reasons that have not yet been figured out, uh, only sent him a check for like $5,000. 
Uh, and this has been a problem that's been going on for a long time. Uh, creators fighting to get their kind of share of the pie and they're sometimes given nominal fees or they're invited to the premieres, but it's very belittling. It's very condescending. And like you're saying, uh, the Hollywood accounting part of it is, you know, the, the studios will bend over backwards trying to add up all these costs and say that because of all these things that were happening on the back end, the movie was not as profitable as the $1.2 billion worldwide gross would have you believe. Therefore, we are under no obligation or we can't give you X amount of fee or X amount of percentage that you may have been owed for your uh, creation being repurposed for the movie. Um, as for a solution to it, the solution seems very obvious, which is that you give them a cut. And uh, at this point, because we're already sort of 10 or 20 years into this comic book renaissance or whatever you want to call it, uh, it needs to be applied retroactively. Uh, if, if certain writers or certain artists have passed away, unfortunately, it should be given to their estate and they should continue on a rolling basis to get whatever royalties they are deserved from, um, uh, you know, home media rights or streaming rights or whatever it may be. Uh, but I, I don't see that happening because a, I don't see enough of a, uh, a champion of the cause really coming up and B, the, the, the power is unfortunately all in the hands of the corporations that are under no obligation to do this in the first place. Um, so it becomes incumbent upon the people like us who actually pay attention to this stuff and who want it to happen to really make the most noise and, and hope for the best outcome. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I want to read a passage from this Hollywood Reporter piece that people can get at HollywoodReporter.com, and we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, I wanted to read this this anecdote exactly that you're referencing, Deepak. It's in reference to uh, the woman who created, um, you know, the new Black Widow, right? The Florence Pugh character. Uh, and it says, after Grayson received her $5,000 of her promised $25,000 in November, she, with the help of an attorney, learned some of the ways Marvel cut down that sum. For starters, Marvel splits the sum between the writers and the artists. So according to Marvel's math, the most Grayson would have made from Black Widow was 12500 half of the 25000 pot split with Jones, Yelena's co-creator. What's more, if a film features more than one character covered by a special character agreement, the company will share the pot of money among all creators with skin in the game. In other words, she was told the $25,000 for Black Widow would be shared across all stakers, stakeholders, presumably those behind characters such as Red Guardian, Melina Vostok. Taskmaster. Yes. A Marvel source notes that there was no ceiling to the total money paid to creators for a project, and it might be raised depending on what is deemed fair. Given this, it likely paid more than $25,000 in total to artists and writers with a claim on Black Widow. Reached by The Hollywood Reporter, Jones did not share specifics on his payments, but confirmed that he received money similar to Grayson's. He says, quote, having spoken to a number of creators, Marvel's financial offerings seem a bit of a bait and switch. They throw out a large number, and then little by little, they whittle down the actual payout. Deepak, before I throw to Fred, because Fred, I have a, I have a history-based question for you on this, but Deepak, can you just explain a little bit the idea of points on the back end and what a solution involving that idea might look like for you know, uh, a, a creator like Grayson. Yeah. So the idea would be that if any upcoming movie features either that character or features a, a storyline that is adapted from a work that you did, like it's civil war or whatever it is, mm -hmm. you would be entitled. And I'm sure they would have some sort of a, a scale to measure that. Um, if it's just a character appearing as a cameo versus their supporting character versus their, the title character of the movie, or if you're, if your story arc is, you know, Infinity Saga or Infinity War is being adapted as a movie and you wrote Infinity War, 
there would be some scale saying that you're entitled to 10% of the back of the of the gross or you're entitled to 15% of the gross versus 2% of the gross or they would give you the option of taking some sort of upfront fee which at this point I don't know why you would because $25,000 even for Black Widow which is on the lower end of the grosses that Marvel has made because of pandemic and whatever uh, a percentage of the gross would still be better than $25,000 which is like a used car so that would be the structure uh, I would imagine that they would have to come up with if they wanted to which they don't um and yeah, that, that's the only way I could see it being equitable because that is essentially what actors and directors do now, which is uh, like Tom Cruise got X number of points on the back end of Top Gun Maverick, which is now amounting to over $100 million for him. Right. Um, and this is an old practice that goes back to, I mean, at least the 80s, I would think. Yeah, this is Hollywood standard, right? And that's, yeah. I think, th- that's what I would like to see implemented as well, right? Because as you say, I would much rather get 1% of the almost $400 million Black Widow mm-hmm. made at the office at the box office rather than rather than yeah a $25,000 check thanking me for my so mm-hmm. I, I do have a question because I mean what you guys are saying sounds good assuming everybody plays by the rules right but it sounds like Disney's doing like the producers right where they're saying yes. oh no the yeah, movie didn't that's make the it. Hollywood accounting yeah that's that's you know the same people not Disney but like the, the most famous story is Paramount uh, got out of paying the guy who wrote the book on Forrest Gump that the movie was then based on they got out of paying him anything because they said that the movie was not profitable. He didn't make money. Which yep. is nonsense. Yeah. So it's that kind of stuff that they'll say, oh, there were all these costs and all these things. We had to pay off these agents and these people and these producers yep. and these distributors. And now there's nothing left. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but if you're getting money on the back end and they're saying the movie didn't make any money, that's a back end of zero, right? Yeah. But that's when people go to court because they know that it's BS. Yeah. And, 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 that, they'll, they'll and Fred, this is exactly out. what I was going to throw to you on is – um. So the, the most famous version of this kind of story, and I think the, you know, Deepak was saying there's no real champion for this, right? The only thing you can point to as there being any kind of champion for this is the legal battle that uh, Siegel and Schuster went through, right? The creators mm-hmm. of Superman to get literally any recognition at all that they had created that character and literally any money out of, I guess it was probably Warner Brothers at the time, right? Whoever owned DC, uh, who had made those Christopher Reeve Superman movies. Um, it was the, I don't know that it was the studio. It might have been the um, Saul Kinds or whatever their name was that uh, actually produced the movies. But anyway. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And, and, you know, there's all these stories about them, like, sitting outside of Superman the musical, basically panhandling, being like, these guys refuse to give us money. Would you please give us some money because you appreciate the fact that we created Superman? Um Neil Adams and a couple other guys really helped them finally get some recognition. But Fred, you know, when I guess my question is when these things can go this far, right? Like when you can have the guys who literally created Superman not seeing a dime uh, during their lifetimes from that, you know, the multiple IP placements that Superman finds itself in. What do you like? I guess. How do you feel as a consumer? Right. Like you want to go to the movie, you want to have a fun time, but you also know Jim Starlin who created Thanos, you know, isn't getting paid for the Infinity Saga, right? Like, I guess, how does that make you feel as just a person who's a fan of things? And and how do you kind of, how do you feel like you can engage with this issue in a regular way? Well, I mean, it's just kind of shitty, right? Because like, there, there isn't a whole lot that the fans can do except by, you know, publicly bashing these companies online where everybody can see it, right? I feel like that's, if anything gets a company to do anything, it's like, 
the public persona of it, right? So mm-hmm. D- Disney, especially if if, it, if everybody is like, oh yeah, that's a really crappy move, then I then Disney will probably do something to be like, no, we're not so crappy. Like yeah, we promise. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think that that's just kind of how it's done nowadays, right? Um, I would love for that not to be the case. Um, yeah. It's funny because it's happening with Black Widow, which was a movie that they tried to screw over Scarlett Johansson, and she had the clout to actually come back and say, no, you owe me what you owe me because you you dumped it into streaming instead of giving it the theatrical release. It's going to – yeah, Fred is right that the social pressure is really what – is the only thing that most corporations respond to these days because they're trying to save face, but it also requires – you know. Chris Hemsworth to come out and say, hey, maybe we should do something about this, or Chris Pratt for Guardians, or whoever maybe, whoever the biggest guy on set is, guy or girl, to say, you know, hey, we should do something about this. And if enough of them take that stance, that would be great. But I also don't know how many of them really have that power. Like, I look at the Black Panther 2 cast, and I think the most powerful person in that cast is maybe Lupita. And I don't, I don't Angela know Angela Bassett, the, but yeah, I Angela don't Bassett. Yeah, I don't know that they would have the poll necessarily. So it's gonna be, oh. it's gonna be hard. It's it's still gonna be unevenly applied based on luck of the draw as to which yeah. character yeah. happens to be played by someone with clout. Yeah, and I, I feel like, you know, this is not just a Marvel issue, but I, I think mm-hmm. we're just talking about Marvel because it's easy. Um, like Marvel locked in a lot of these actors for multiple movie contracts pretty low and they just kind of like have them right like yeah so there's not going to be another downy coming in and negotiating Mm -hmm. everybody's pay right like mm -hmm. i i don't see that happening again i don't know who could do that that. might be hemsworth now that might he might might be hemsworth statement yeah yeah and and it it would be so interesting to me and jack i want to get you in here as well it would be so interesting to me jack if chris hemsworth did you know find himself in a position to say like, Hey, let's get some of these guys paid. Right. Jason Aaron was the first and he had a very long arc on Thor. That was very well regarded. I loved it. It's one of my favorite comic stories. Um, he was the first guy that I really remembered seeing in the mix, right? Like we brought him on as a creative consultant or whatever, Mm -hmm. but they had full on lifted panels from his comic and put it in the trailer, right? Like this was overt. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the reason they felt the need to do it is because when they had made Winter Soldier, which is just a straight Ed Brubaker comic, they Mm -hmm. had really kind of not acknowledged Ed Brubaker at all, and he got pretty upset about it online. So I do think that the voices are out there and they're trending in the right direction. Um, But Jack, I'm curious, like, (laughs) this is not secretly me trying to get you guys to buy comic books, but (laughs) I am wondering if, like, does this... Knowing that this issue is out there, does does that feel like it makes you any more likely that, you know, let's say it's not, but let's say Wakanda Forever <laughs> was based on a very specific run. Would that sure. make you say, oh, I should really go out and get the Wakanda Forever run before I see the movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that has happened. I, it doesn't happen a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely read the Infinity War and, and all of the Thanos related stuff in preparation for mm-hmm. that sort of uh, the film. Um, but I don't know mm-hmm. if it happens regularly with like smaller movies. It would more for be a large event like that. But I also feel like it, it's pretty. Yeah, I know I got that Shazam one because of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's a great example, right? That most recent Shazam run by Jeff Johns was basically just straight up the movie, right? But mm-hmm. also like Jeff Johns is in a weird position where he's like the create. He's like the Feige of DC, right? So like he's getting. Is where he is he or he was at the time, but he I don't was. Know yeah, yeah, I don't. 
Hey, who knows what's going on? I think it's, it's also just like weird, like the relationship that comic book artists and writers have with their creation is is just kind of weird in general, right? Like, yes, yes. regarding who owns what, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, we all live in the, uh, we used to all live in like the DC area, like government contractors. If you make anything under government money, the government owns it, regardless of what you created or whatnot. And mm-hmm. it's very similar to, like, with the comic books, right? Like, where they, like, they don't own their comic books. No. And they, and you're exactly right. And Marvel would be the first one to tell you that, Fred, that they are, they are contracted on work for hire. Then they create, you know, at the will of Axel Alonso or whoever is the new HBIC over there, right? And, um, yeah. No, I mean, you're, legally, you're absolutely right. It's just, it's a frustrating Right. So, I mean, like, me. Marvel could come back and say, well, they're lucky they're getting anything at all because we bought the, we own the comic mm-hmm. book right. to do it, which is, it's a weird, like, oh, you should be doing more, but I don't know. It, anytime they could turn around and say, well, you're lucky we're doing anything. Is... Yeah, the way the system is set up, they're not obligated to do anything. Yeah. There's one, like, last anecdote to share about all this, which is, like, the nuclear option way of doing it, which is what Robert Rodriguez did for Sin City. Which is where he knew he was going to just take the Sin City comic books and just repurpose them image for image on on the screen. So he wanted Frank Miller to get that credit. And he was ready to do it to the point of having Frank Miller essentially be a co-director. Because the movie does not end up the way it is unless Frank Miller essentially storyboards it in a comic book form. But the DGA would not let them be a joint duo director on that. So Robert Rodriguez has since then not been part of the Directors Guild of America. He dropped out of the DGA so that he could credit Frank Miller as a co-director on Sin City. And then, of course, he gets whatever fee and whatever money he gets as a result of that. So that's the other way of doing it, which is not practical, of course. But No, yeah. yeah. That, doesn't that keep him from making other movies in the future? Yeah, but he's, he's done all right. I mean, okay. he's still doing Star Wars stuff, right? So something, I guess, must have worked out in the end. Hey everyone, this is Fred from NIHF. I just want to take a minute and thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Uh, Also, since you made it this far, you might as well subscribe. It's totally free and really helps us out as a small community. Thanks. All right, and that brings us to our second story of the week. And really quick, guys, I just wanted to talk about physical media. And Deepak, this is going to be a video game story that I really think you're actually going to want to hop into. Because, Jack, you and I were talking yesterday after we got out of our NOPE screening about the, like, what's going to happen when the Elden Ring servers shut down, right? Um, and this, is, this isn't a problem specific to Elden Ring, but it is, like, a question about physical media and the era of video games we're living in. Could you kind of walk us through what the question really is and why it may be a problem for like preservation of media. Sure. Um, so lately, especially, uh, but for a while now, there has been a, I won't call it a genre of games, but a, a subset of games that, uh, prominently feature online as like a necessary part of the game. Um, a lot of people have a lot of opinions about this, but for better or for worse, games like uh, I always think of the new Hitman game, um, but it's it's a lot more common than that. There's a, a bunch where you <clears throat> there's a bunch where you have to um, just connect to a server 
to be able to actually get into the game. And obviously, the companies who make these games can't keep these servers running forever. So uh, in order to... Yeah, right. Right. So the question becomes when the uh, companies have to take these servers down, what are they going to do? Are they going to open the games to be able to be played without online capabilities? Will the co-op or, or the online services that were provided still be accessible in some way? In Elden Ring and the Dark Souls games, you have the messaging system and the uh, co-op fighting systems, which are pretty important to the game. So there's a lot of different things that would need to be addressed. Yeah, right. So, so, so Deepak, you, you as a, as a physical media connoisseur, I guess, do you have any immediate, because I'm assuming this is the first time you're hearing of this. Do you have any immediate reaction to the idea that I can be a person that owns Destiny or Elden Ring or Pikmin on a physical disc or cartridge, but one day this company might decide, you know, they don't have the resources to service that game anymore. And so they are shutting the servers down. And as a result, essentially shutting the game down or major, major parts of the game, at least. Yeah, that is a, a fear that is um, also part of the movie physical collecting thing, which is that even if you buy DVDs or Blu-rays or 4Ks and you have the player and all that, you think that if you have the hardware, you're safe, but you're one firmware, automatic firmware update away yeah. Yeah. or one one DRM thing away from not being able to play the things that you've spent all this money on. So that's – there's there's talk – I know that – not just talk, but there's people who uh, will – as soon as they buy a disc, immediately back it up onto their terabytes of SSD storage and they, they think it's safe there. They have it. It's done. Um, I remember there was also like a – this is like a related problem, but uh, people – would keep their old Xboxes on for like days or weeks at a time with Halo 2 on it when they were saying that they were going to shut down the Xbox Live lobbies for those older games like Halo 2 because they didn't want to mm. lose the ability to play live on those uh, on those older ones. Um, so the, yeah, like Jack was saying, this is it's more of a problem recently, but I think it's been around for a while and it's uh, it's not exclusive to video games, not at all. Because I mean, we've talked about this. You you buy. Prime Day, they had the Xbox One X, uh, the new one, but it's the streaming only model. It's not the one with the disk drive because that doesn't actually exist. And um, uh, I, I, no one wants it. I, at least I don't because why would you buy? You're essentially only buying a lease to each of your games. You're not buying the game. Mm -hmm. They'll right. take it away from you whenever they want. They'll change whatever they want whenever they want. And it's not up to you to say that they can't. In fact, when you buy it, you're implicitly agreeing to reams and reams of agreements, which essentially give them domain over everything you're paying for. Um so it is what it is. Let's jump in here real quick. FromSoft games, um, they do kind of give you like a legal thing just about every time you open the game. But Elden Ring, you can play offline. I, I want to make that part known. You can play Elden Ring yeah, offline. Yeah, right. Um, like I said, it, it obviously, varies from game to game how crucial it is. Eventually, when the like... servers, servers do sh <coughs> when the servers shut down, uh, a major part of the multiplayer aspect won't be there anymore, um, which is a pretty big part of the game. I don't see an alternative there, though. Like, for a game like Destiny, where it's completely MMO, like, it does kind of make sense that that game will go away when the servers go down. And I think, like, I don't know how... I don't know how you could see, like, what would the alternative for that be? Because I, I feel like an MMO, it's just online. That's, that's what it is, and when there's not online, oh, well. you don't have online. 
I think Fred and I know I know this is our like our default. Uh, we're we're both retreating to our our known corners here, where you are uh, like the pleasant optimist who is always enjoying things, and I'm always out here finding what I'm supposed to worry about next. But like I think from my perspective, the shift towards like massively online multiplayer games and things like that seems to be like a a calculation that is saying we we can control more stuff if we go this way right like i i I don't think it's a coincidence for example that like destiny you can only play online like i think that's it's a feature not a bug from the perspective of somebody like microsoft right that they now control or bungie or whoever develops right like that all the cards are in their basket now I was just going to say, even if you don't want to be that jaded about it, there are, like, games that undeniably don't have to always be online that are, that will have this issue where it could mm-hmm. have been avoided. Hitman yeah. was a single-player game for a long time. Mm-hmm. No, I, and I think a lot of companies kind of get caught out for it when that happens, right? Wasn't there, it was like Diablo, right? Where yeah. Diablo was a completely solo-player game, and then it required an online connection and people flipped out. And I'm, yeah. I'm pretty pro consumer there where it's like, yo, if this game doesn't have to be online, I get it. Um, I think the, the online forever games kind of present more opportunities to make money. And so I, I don't fault companies for making them. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think like, yeah, you're going to get a lot more than $60 out of a person playing Destiny than you will out of someone playing, I don't know, Echo or something. I'm trying to think of a yeah. good, like, completely Mario Galaxy. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that just, that all just kind of seems sensical to me. Um, I don't think they're going to get rid of some single player games, right? Like, I think I'll always be able to play the Mass Effect campaign. Um and you you assume i do assume i you know i actually still played the mass effect 3 multiplayer for xbox 360 like last week and i was still getting matches so um yeah that's, i don't know that's funny that is a thank god those servers are still active i really hope i keeps them on forever uh but i know they won't and i really hope they do it's not even the biggest crisis in terms of game preservation though like just the fact that tonsils from 20 years ago are harder to come by is a bigger problem i think i i I understand that jack yeah but i guess uh, let me get your thoughts on this and this will be the button on our little mini segment here but i get what you're saying jack but at the same time from my perspective it's like okay but i know what the solution to that is right like there are Hmm. people out there you're one of them right people who are out there who are interested in getting their hands on that physical Mm -hmm. stuff for preservation's sake, right? Like you could, Jack, if you had infinite resources, you could open a museum, right, about yeah. preserving the hardware, right? Sure. It is a lot harder and a lot more reliant on corporations who have their own interests in mind to preserve the software, right? Whether that yeah, is yeah, yeah. like a movie like Deepak was talking about or uh, a video game, right? Yeah, and I guess it does in this... Uh sort of come down to the corporation and it depends on each game you know for for the FromSoft games it would probably be enough to just download a massive amount of the text messages that have been submitted already and then have random ones appear um yeah and right. then you know if you're playing the game in 30 years maybe you just uh 
own up to the fact that nobody's going to help you beat Melania. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah. It's just, I don't know. It's just an interesting question. And all of us on here are really interested in this idea of, of preservation, right? And preservation and ownership. Like, mm-hmm. what do you really, what are you really spending money on? Hey guys, Deepak here, just reminding you to subscribe to NIHF.com where we have tons of great exclusive content, a lot of stuff about the new Fantastic Four that's coming up for Marvel, who should direct it, who should be cast in it, as well as the usual monthly guides for what's new on streaming, what's new to play in video games, so on and so forth, and of course, uh, all sorts of podcasts, including Nerded Here Weekly, Um, so go ahead and subscribe, there's a lot of great content you're not going to find anywhere else out there, and uh, stay tuned for more great stuff. I wanted to finish this week by um, talking to you guys a little bit. I don't know if you saw this quote or not from Joe Russo, but I think we will all have things to say about this quote from Joe Russo. So the Russo brothers, um, we all know them. Is he the younger or older Russo? I think he's the older of the two Russos. I don't know, though. Um, But as we all know, uh, the Russo brothers, the directors of some of the most successful theatrically released movies of all time, right? Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, you may have heard of them. But recently, the Russos have taken their quote-unquote filmmaking abilities to Netflix uh, to, to, to generate a series of movies over there, and for some reason seem to have decided that it's on them to also spew all sorts of uh, Netflix propaganda So Joe Russo gave a quote over the weekend where he said that uh, the theatrical experience is an elitist activity and the real folks are getting their movies on on the streaming platforms. Only only snobs go to movie theaters. So let's let's have some real fun here. My I don't want to talk about whether or not that's actually true yet. What I want to talk about is. Why does Joe Russo feel the need to say this? Couldn't he have just been like, you know, there's still a pandemic out there? Why do we have to go for movie theaters so hard? Uh, I asked Joe Russo, who surely got some points on the back end of that there Infinity War. I mean, it's it's definitely kicking somebody while they're down. No, I mean, <laughs> look, guys, I've been holding on to this one for a while. Um, nobody likes popcorn. What? Yeah. That's that's what it is, oh, really. Is a, I kind of don't disagree. It, they that's like the problem. The on top of the popcorn. <laughs> yeah, no, it's sticky, and you know, <laughs> butter by itself is. I don't know why anyone uses it personally, um, and and that's what it is, really. You get there, and it's just like you know, it's the, the screen's too big, and I can hear I don't think everything. We should fall. And... <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so clear and 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 well calibrated, you know. Um, it looks it's nice. Not, though. <laughs> I kind of, yeah. Well, anyway. Let's get, no, let's get into. Okay. Well, here's the thing, Deepak. Let me say this. Let me. Let me. I don't. Pick, I don't I, agree that it's elitist. I definitely don't agree with that. Can I? Can I but, set you up? I think, Deepak. Yeah. I agree in the sense that if you are not, if you're going to like a Regal, right, or an AMC, you are being asked to pay too much for the experience that you are being given. Like, it's not just a brand thing. And I'll tell you what it is. There was a tweet I had the other day that I think you retweeted from the main account where someone was complaining about how the new Batman movie looked. Yeah. And how it's too dark. Yeah. And my whole thing is I saw No Time to Die in theaters three times. 
the first time was with you. We saw it in the IMAX at the AMC. It looked great. Mm-hmm. The second time I saw it was in 3D at the AMC Times Square. It was like their 4DX whatever thing. So it was still kind of a premium screen. And it, that was actually probably the best way to watch the movie. The third time I saw it was spur of the moment. I'm not going to say exactly which theater it was, but it was a local Regal in Northern Virginia that my dad and I went to like a matinee show for like six bucks or whatever, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's one of the worst theatrical presentations I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And I have noticed this over the last maybe 10 years, which is that if you're not going to a movie that is in some way a premium format, whether it's 3D, IMAX, Dolby, whatever, or if you're not going to one of the smaller private theater chains like your Alamo that actually you know care about this stuff. Yes, this is exactly You're getting an, an, an inherently inferior experience because these theaters are stretched thin. Like mm-hmm. you said, we're kicking them while they're down. They, they for a long time, have been cutting corners when it comes to brightness on their bulbs and the projectors so that they don't have to replace them as much. Yeah, yeah. Of course, the, the, the concession is what it is because that's how they make their money. So at that point, if you're not going to be able to see a movie in the best possible way – you might as well wait at home, wait till you can see it at home, because if you invest just not even that much in like a decent theater and a, a decent, uh, sorry, a decent TV and a decent right. sound bar, you're going to have a better experience than you would have at just like your local multiplex. So yeah, when it comes to him saying that people don't want to go to theaters anymore, it's not an elitist problem. It's a I get just as good an experience at home problem. Yeah, and I and I understand that, and that's kind of where I am sympathetic to people who, you know, like, Deepak, you and I have been, like, the staunch defenders of the theatrical experience on here, and, and now I've lost you as my standby, so I'm I'm the last well, man on the... I don't, I don't disagree that there's something inherently, like, precious about that experience, but I don't think... It's the same way that when Avatar came out, every movie had to be in 3D. No. 3D is fantastic, but you have to use it for the right projects, and you have to do it the right way. Yeah. And this is what I think, in my opinion, I think like I I do love the theatrical experience and I try and go see every movie in the theaters that I can. I also have an Alamo draft house 10 minutes from my house. Right. Like, yeah, my my ability. I'm an elite. Right. Yeah. And like I can I can see movies in a format run by people who know what they're doing, like the way it was, quote unquote, meant to be seen. Right. Like, I know that regal that you're talking about, Deepak. And like, yeah. I don't know that I've ever had a good movie-going experience there. Although it might be where you I and I saw, saw the Bourne we saw Ultimatum. Dark Phoenix there. Yeah, we did see Dark Phoenix there. That was a yeah. good movie-going experience. Yeah. But um, um, yeah, it's just like if your if your projector is being run by a teenager who doesn't know how to level it correctly, like you're not going to have a good time at the movies, right? And that's and we haven't even said anything yet about you know the Maria Menounos of it all, right? Like the. The mm. th- 30 minutes before the movie that you spend being fed advertisements for other things. So clearly they're making money, right? And they're just not using it to provide the customer with an experience that justifies what is an ever-increasing price tag. But again, I don't want to kick down the theater chains because at the, at they're, they're, str- they're stretching as much oh, as they can. Fucked, just to man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What's it's interesting, I've never noticed the things that you guys are talking about. And like, I'm sure I've gone to that theater as well. You have Fred. We've been there together. Um, I, mm. I know what we're talking about now. You go there a lot. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's your spot. <laughs> Never notice it. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, and, and to Fred's point, my dad, who I went to see the movie with did not really notice anything different. No. either. It's just because I had seen the movie twice already. I sort of know what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. But then when I had it at home, I showed it to him and he goes, oh, I see the difference now. Well, that's the thing. And Fred, that's what I would say is, Fred, maybe you haven't noticed the difference in going to that theater, right? Which is just 
that theater is basically every movie theater on earth, right? We're not just beating up on that one. Regal. But maybe you haven't noticed it when you're sitting in that theater, Fred, but what I bet you do notice and what I know that you notice from having conversations with you is you don't notice a significant increase in quality when you go to the movies versus when you watch it at home. And that's, in my opinion, there should be that. If you're going to go out to the theater and pay money to see a movie in the theater, it should be noticeably better than when you watch yeah. it at home. And it can be if it is being run by a, a, a staff that is, like Deepak says, well-staffed, first of all, because God yeah. knows movie theaters are not well-staffed right now, even the best ones. And a, a staff that is trained to show the movie correctly, right? Like in a theater that's invested in that. And, you know, like we say, a lot of them are just cutting corners and stuff and it makes the theatrical experience less fun and it makes people go, maybe I don't want to go to the movies. Maybe it is an elitist experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, let's get past that for a second because I think we're all kind of on the same page there. The other part of this I wanted to talk about was like, the gray man kind of sucks. And I don't get... <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> it's fine. We don't have, like, we're not going to... We don't have to talk about the gray man specifically, but like... Netflix doing this thing of like, let's get these incredibly well-known directors and just have them like turn the crank on the content machine uh, to hold on to subscribers, right? Like, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's not exactly like the Netflix experience is all that great either as I pay my $28 for a movie I don't want to watch this month, right? Like, <laughs> So we kind of had a conversation like this when Bird Box happened, when like War Machine happened, where it's more about getting the actors onto streaming because in theaters, the movie star model has not really existed for about 10 years at least. But on streaming, if I find out that Brad Pitt or Sandra Bullock or someone is doing a streaming movie, I'm more inclined to watch. And all they really care about is that for the next two weeks, everyone's only talking about The Gray Man. And it's not just in the US. The international aspect of the cast and the the globe-trotting kind of spy movie thing that they're doing with it it's apparently a big hit in India, is from what I understand, um, because of the Indian actor that's in it. So whatever they're doing, sometimes I think we get too narrow focused or too narrow minded on like what is for us. And I'm sure they want the gray man to be successful in the US too, because why wouldn't they? But it, there is a more globalist approach to what Netflix is doing with some of their stuff now. Definitely. And it's also the algorithm of it all, right? You can see mm-hmm. clunk together, right? Like, I can never remember his name, but he's a great actor, uh, Mr. Bridgerton. Right. Um, uh, RJP. Yeah. Right. Uh, he is he's in Gray Man. Right. And he's fine. He's just as good as anybody else in the Gray Man. But, you know, it's like you can see them going, oh, well, everybody liked Bridgerton. So let's give this guy more acting opportunities. And from my perspective, that's good. I think he's a good actor and I like him getting opportunities. But at the same time, I am kind of like, all right, Netflix, what are we doing here? Like you you should at least I can go to the theater and see Nope. Right. Like that's that's. Netflix is in such a weird spot for me personally, just because I really, really like their animations that they've been doing recently. So, mm-hmm. like, Arcane is phenomenal. Uh, Love, mm-hmm. Death, and Robots I really like. I know it's not for everybody, but I personally enjoy it. Uh, Castlevania I thought was great. And, like, I want more of those, but I understand you can't just make that stuff. So I want their other stuff to do well, even if I don't watch it. Like, I... I want enough of their stuff to be popular enough so they can still make the stuff that I like. Mm. It's kind of like, Deepak, this Mm -hmm. might have been what you were getting at, but Jack, let me get your thoughts on this. One of the things that I always think is frustrating with Netflix is like there is good stuff on there, but it's buried under a mountain of what they think is going to get talked about online. 
Yeah, but isn't that the same thing that the traditional studios have always done? They're going to release good movies every year, but they're going to get drowned out by the stuff with Batman, Superman, Spider-Man in them because that's the stuff that that moves people. That's the stuff that gets people into theaters. And to Fred's point, if the Gray Man doesn't get views, it's not going to be able to fund all the little uh, the good animation stuff that they like. And especially now in a day when Netflix is losing hundreds of millions of subscribers every quarter and they're cutting back on all their spending and they're acquiring content and producing content. So they have to be even more careful with what they're spending money on. So we're we're back to the traditional studio model, but it's now on our computers as opposed to in the movie theaters. I would agree. I I definitely agree with Fred that there is a lot of stuff that they do make that I like, but um, you're right. They just make so much stuff that might just be seeing what sticks. Uh, and I, I definitely think they have an interesting uh, metric for what they think is going to do well and what I think they do well. <laughs> um, I still have, I have not seen Gray Man either, but it, yeah, that's fine. No, it, no, I mean, see it, don't see it, whatever. Um, it's a fun, fine time with the Netflix. But like, okay, here's an example. Here's an example. <laughs> yesterday, yesterday at the Netflix. At the Netflix. Yesterday, Maggie and I watched. Uh, persuasion, I think, is what it was called. It's a Jane Austen thing. Yeah, the, um, uh, yeah, yeah. The the uh, is it no, Dakota with Johnson? Shades and Crazy yeah. Rich Asians, and yeah, yep. Yeah. It's really good. I liked it a lot. It was fun. It was like again a fun fine time at the Netflix. But like, that's not what your letterbox said. I think it's literally what my letterbox said. <laughs> oh, I thought you gave it like two stars. Yeah, I did. I gave I gave Gray Man one star. It was a fun fine time at the Netflix. Um, it. Like, from my perspective, though, I'm like, I don't know if people are going to see that movie because it's not going to, like, it's not popping up in your home screen, right? And, like, that's the thing. is like, the way that you interact with Netflix is, like, you open up an app, and then that app is pre-programmed with algorithms that Netflix has come up with to promote the content that they think has virality. And then you're presented with that, and it's it's all measured to what your tastes are so that hopefully you will watch it and then propel their virality. But, like, if you want to watch, like, just a good movie... You need to, like, go search it and find it and do the thing and stuff. And I don't know how many people do that, I guess is what I'm saying, right? Like, is the way that we interact with Netflix and the way that Netflix presents its library, um, are those two things in line with getting to watch, like, Arcane, right, Fred? Or or Castlevania? Yeah, um, I feel like I only ever watched those because I was looking for them. I'm, I'm blanking on, like, the actual scientific data but there is actual scientific data where if like we're presented with too many options we're just going to go with what we're familiar with mm-hmm. and yeah. so we just end up re-watching a ton of stuff because netflix just has so much stuff yeah paralysis we're, by we're, analysis yeah so we're just not gonna pick up anything new which is a shame and and i mean i don't know it's a problem choice wherever but yeah like i i do wish that there was a i don't know better way to get the newer stuff to us that we would actually like but I, I don't know. I guess the algorithm does a fine job at that, maybe. <laughs> it probably could be better. But I'm sure everyone's working on their algorithm, though. So hasn't worked for YouTube. Anecdotally, the persuasion thing does show up at the top of Netflix every time I log in. But it's just not my cup of tea, so I'm not going to watch it. Um, so they have, they've, I've actually seen that more than Gray Man up on like the, uh, the banner for some reason. That's interesting. I, I like to... What the s- hell I'm watching. I like to switch between, so we have like, Maggie and I have like a shared Netflix profile, and then we have like Mm. Maggie's Netflix profile, and then we have mine. And I always like Mm. to contrast what shows up, because really mine is only used for stuff Maggie doesn't want to watch, right? Like, (laughs) uh, 
So it's like a very specific version of me in that profile. And that was the one that was really getting gray man bashed. So I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just the part of Netflix that thinks I'm like an incel that really loves that Will Smith uh, cop fantasy world movie. Oh, Blink, God. Bright. I still haven't watched Bright, that, but that one, it pushes to me all it. the time. It is not going to let me live without watching that movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying, right? Like, that's a good example. Is like, why is it? Because when I go into... Like, I don't feel this way about HBO Max or Disney Plus, right? Like, I feel like when I go in there, I see the thing I want to watch. And it's, they like they knew what I was looking for. And it's right there at the top. And I hit play on it, right? And like, so is it something I about... I think you go to those with a more targeted agenda. Like, I'm going yeah, to sure. Disney Plus because there's a new episode of Loki. Or I'm going to HBO Max mm-hmm. because there's a new Criterion thing that I know they've added to the TCM area. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Uh, with Netflix, I do think it's built more for open browsing. The same way that I think Prime is in a lot of ways, too. Yeah, my HBO algorithm is, like, entirely messed up because my TV is just, like, a second too slow, so I'll, like, double-tap the button, and it'll just play oh. the first thing that's on there. So I've, like, started The Time Traveler's Wife, like, eight times. <laughs> oh, God, and you couldn't save it. It still got canceled. It was all Fred. That's so funny. Um, I think I've watched, like, yeah. the first second of that movie, I don't know how many times, just because, like, yeah, like, like double-tapping the button. And the folks over at Warner's are like, man, he really can't make up his mind on this thing. Um <laughs> The best part is that it's a TV show. It's not even a movie. Oh, is that? Yeah, yeah they, they used to be a movie, and I think they just made it into a TV show, Fred. So you're all good. Yeah, but, and, then, um, and then they immediately canceled it. Immediately canceled <laughs> it, right off the bat. Yeah, the discovery acquisition happened, and they were like, nope. Um, <laughs> but that's like, I guess that's what I, part of what I'm trying to think about here, and part of what I'm trying to help you guys, get you guys to help me process here, is like the difference in how I interact with like Netflix specifically as a streaming IP, right? Like a company, right? Mm. And then and then the way I interact with going to a movie theater, right? Which are two very different experiences. But I think one of the shortcomings that I see in the Netflix model that I don't see in these other models, and even like Amazon, Deepak, you mentioned, they made an announcement that they're getting ready to change their UX, I think, timed with the release of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, their UX badly needs an upgrade. It sucks. It's the worst one to use. So... You know, that's I, I think that's just where I'm at is like, OK, look, Netflix, if you want to be my alternative to a movie theater and maybe that's the prompt I want from you guys. Well, you guys have lower bars, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. If I want Netflix to be my alternative to a movie theater, I need ease of access to stuff I am interested in, because I honestly feel like every time I open Netflix, I spend 45 minutes scrolling through stuff, trying to decide what to watch. And then I look at the clock and go, ah, it's too late. I'll just go to bed. Yeah. Just fire up another Seinfeld or Better Call Saul. I, I, I like the idea of what Fred said that, you know, if we're presented with too many options, we just end up not being able to choose anything. So I would it would be cool if Netflix had a feature or some sort of way that you could essentially interact with it the same way you interact with a multiplex. Where imagine you're in the 80s, make it Stranger Things themed if you want, and you're walking into a movie that you're walking into a theater that has like 12 screens and each one's playing something different. And those screens are populated not necessarily by what it thinks you want to watch, but maybe a third of them, like four of those screens are what they think you want to watch, four of them are what they think you might want to watch, but they're not sure. And four things are like totally out of the blue. They're like totally out of your wheelhouse. For Fred, it would be like, you know, the the men who stare at goat and the lobsters yeah, some, and all that. Some Yorgos and <laughs> yeah, cra- exactly. Just, <laughs> just crazy shit, right? But you've had you have those twelve options and you can't scroll, you can't look around, you can maybe watch a trailer for each of them if you want, but you're limited to what you're you're able to select from and from that and and none of them are things you've already seen 
right? Hopefully. Well, that's, because yeah. Netflix would know that you've already seen something and not based on whether or not you thumbs up it or whatever. Or have yeah, played then, it. Yeah, and right. And that yeah. would be sort of how you, you approach viewing things there. Now, they're never going to do that because they don't want to give you only 12 options out of the millions and millions of things they have there. And they're only giving you movies as opposed to all the TV shows that are out there and stuff too, right? But something like that where they can narrow your field of vision down to something that is more not just what they know you want, but stuff that they think could also maybe expand what you would want. An interesting point that prompted this thought in me. Jack, react to this. Back in the day, the 80s, the 90s, even the early aughts, we would go to the movies, Right. Mm-hmm. We would show up at the movie theater and we would see what was playing or we'd open up the newspaper and go, let's see what movies are out this weekend. And we'd yeah. look at the or listings. What starts around two thirty? What's playing? Yeah. What's playing around two? Um, now, I think that that impulse has shifted to streaming platforms. Right. Like if I want to go to the movies, I'll open up Netflix. Right. If I want to go see a movie, I go to the theater. Mm-hmm. So is there do you think there's a way that we can kind of merge that idea of you know, let's all go to the movies with a streaming platform that doesn't just completely overwhelm you with choice every time you open it. I think that would make sense. I, I'm i not sure, like Deepak said, it just it seems so against, like, Netflix's business model to mm-hmm. not pelt you with choices. Yeah. Um, I mean, at the very least, you would still need to be able to like in in the event that somebody is using it to find a specific yeah thing, right to right be right able to search for it. Um, I was just gonna say as a random thought, it might be interesting if they had like some kind of a a live element, like uh, if Netflix were highlighting a specific movie that they had at a specific day and time to try to get more people to talk about or to acknowledge it. Perhaps sure. on the movie's anniversary, something like that, where like everybody would come in at two, like you said. Yeah, Almost like a yeah, like theater. a watch party, like a like a. Remember they used yeah, to do kinda. that. ABC used to do those Sunday night movies or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like if you did something like that, yeah. I would be interested to see if that would be really interesting, Jack. Because yeah, but the creatives would revolt as soon as you're doing anything that mucks with like their intent, right? If you have like an Instagram live or Facebook live kind of thing with like a scrolling. Uh, people commenting and dropping emojis and stuff and like oh this is not mm. the real movie so mm. yeah i don't yeah. want that but, i just but, want them to like start pl- a movie they don't have right that they're like it's mm-hmm. or or maybe it's a new movie. honest to gosh guys what if like i might have been more interested in seeing gray man if they were like all right we're playing it one time on netflix at eight and then it'll come to netflix like two weeks after that I, I did want to see mm. it in the theater, and then mm. not, because i couldn't see it in the theater that's why i'm kind of not chomping at the bit to watch it at home now so there is yeah. something to that, I think. I don't well, know. I don't know what theaters are kind of elitist, so they are kind of elitist. Is a thing you should think about. I, could, I couldn't um, even get there, man. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I don't know that we've cracked it here, guys. I don't know that we're going to be streaming billionaires next week, but I do think there is a problem <laughs> here, and I feel like we've we have probably batted around more interesting options in this conversation than Netflix did after they uh, lost all those users. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, hmm. like. My personal advice is as a consumer, you know, don't go to Netflix to look around. Just like pull up a good site that you trust. Be like, hey, what's something good that came out this month? And then find out where you can watch it. And if it's Netflix, go to Netflix, search up, find the thing. Like, you know, um, like there's a great site like NIHF.com. I think they do like a monthly thing. Mm-hmm. 
where it's like, what came out this month? And then you just go there and you figure it out, right? But actually, not just Padamon itself. That is kind of how I approach watching things, too. It's just like, what what came out or what's a recommendation for this genre of something that I'm in the mood for? And then no, I search for that specifically. 100% when you started that, I was like, yeah, that's a really good idea. That's what I do all the time. It's like I go online and I'll Google like what's coming on Netflix in August. And I'm like, oh, shit, we run a website. We should tell people to go to ours. So, so yeah, <laughs> way to have your head on a swivel, Fred. Uh, all right, let's end the show. This has been Nerdy Here Weekly. Thanks so much for listening. Please remember to go to NIHF.com and type in your email address to subscribe. That way you'll get this podcast in your feed every week, plus access to all the articles we're writing, like what you should watch on Netflix in August. Uh, before we go, guys, do you have any pop culture recommendations, things you've been watching, reading, eating, playing, or listening to that you've enjoyed and you think everybody else might enjoy? Deepak, let's start with you. Uh, going back to the last episode, we had a conversation about Halo, and then I decided to finally dust off that Master Chief collection I bought like two years ago and never played. And uh, I, uh, I've been reconnecting with Halo 2, and it's been a good time. Hell yeah. I want to see your Spartan Reach Spartan. So. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I've been Chinatown Detective Agency. We did the... Uh, the grab bag and I've really enjoyed that so that's what I've been playing actually yeah you still in it that's yeah, great I'm glad to hear that uh Jackson uh like you alluded to we went to go see Nope and it was pretty good it was pretty a bit good. of a unexpected twist there was an unexpected twist that was great and this what here's another unexpected twist that's not a spoiler it's really funny his movies tend to be he's a funny guy Get Out was the best comedy of the year, remember? Oh, it was. You're so right. I forgot about that. Um, and for me, I've been playing Prey, uh, Stray. I keep saying Prey, but that's another game I like. I've been playing Stray, which is a game on PC and PlayStation where you play as a cat. And you have to go on, like, it's kind of platformer RPG-style adventure, but you're just a normal old cat. So you can jump and meow. And It uh, looks fantastic. Like, it, it's it looks incredible. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it sends me out, and it's a ton of fun to play. Uh, review coming probably next week on that one, but stay tuned. I'm trying to do a video to like show people just how incredible this game looks. So, Anyway, this has been Nerd Here Weekly. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate your support. As, since we've transitioned over to the Substack model, you guys know like subscribers have been the name of the game here uh, because people don't just find our website on Google like they used to. So we really, really do appreciate it. And you know, if you get the chance to share it with a friend, word of mouth does a lot more than us tweeting random things about Comic-Con. So maybe share this episode with a friend if you thought it was good. Uh, And don't forget to tune in next week to hear Hope That Grows Gravity. Maybe 300.